0: This week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Rice, Oil & Gas, HPC Conference Highlights.
1: Oak Ridge pursues universal runtime. It's This Week in HPC.
2: Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snow with Intersect 360 Research. Joined this week with our Chief Research Officer, Dan Olds, as well as HPC Wire Managing Editor, Tiffany Trader. And Tiffany, This Week in HPC, we got to enjoy the annual rice oil and gas HPC workshop, which now marks a full year of Virtual conferences. This is the last uh, thing that you and I were both at in person. Virtual this year, but still a lot of great content, and I was delighted to be able to participate.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, you know, first let me congratulate you both um, for the addition to the Intersect three hundred and sixty Research Team. Dan, you and I have worked together in uh, various capacities and definitely crossed paths at uh, student cluster competitions, and a couple, including a couple in China. So, welcome.
2: Yes, many locales.
1: Yes, it's nice to be on the podcast with
0: you. It's great to talk to you again, too.
2: And we'll come back and revisit that student cluster topic as part of what was going on with rice, oil, and gas with regard to talent development. But, Tiffany, what did you think of the conference?
1: Yeah, I thought it was great overall. Um, I think there's, there's several... Uh, sessions that we want to touch on today. Um, they they segued nicely into the virtual event. As you mentioned, this was one of the last events or the, the last event, the last official event we were both in in person. So here we are uh, marking a year here. Uh, there was a, a nice uh, panel on a five-year changes in HPC over five years that we, I, we all had a, a few thoughts on. They had some really good uh, speakers on that one, uh, Dan Stanzione was on there. He from TAC, director of TAC. He he talked about the uh, this idea of Exascale and everyone else that there's going to be this fork. Um, I I largely think that this this fork has already been in play, but I think Exascale will expose it even more. And really, mm. it's not a matter of including this long tail science. This. um, people, but it's just, it's a mandate to do that. So it's not a question of whether to do it, but how to do it and how to include these other workloads onto these um, big systems. And Dan said, that's gonna be a central challenge.
2: Yeah, that was one of my favorite uh, panels of the entire conference. It was moderated by our friend Errol Joseph from Hyperion Research, included a lot of luminaries in this space. I, I, Dan had my favorite quote, Dan Stanzion from TAC had my favorite quote of that whole panel saying, anytime you predict really dramatic change in a five-year period, you're going to usually be wrong. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. And that that's to say change comes slowly. But you're right, that fork that he's talking about is certainly getting exacerbated in terms of the peak of HPC versus the sort of everything else. And uh, that dovetailed with a lot of what Andy Jones had to say about cloud and HPC.
0: It did. I thought it was a great conference, but my kryptonite is when they tell me all the presentations will be available later. So I have to go back and revisit some of them. But I was particularly interested in hearing about the workforce development because that's something that uh, I'm devoting quite a bit of time to doing in the student cluster competitions, including my own, uh, the increasingly misnamed Winter Classic Invitational, which will be happening in April. So I really like to hear about uh, other folks in HPC working to develop our next generation.
2: Yeah, it's been a huge topic at a lot of conferences, and this was no exception, talking about how do we develop more Young people into high performance computing, and in this case, into energy specifically. And uh, Dan, your ongoing work with the student cluster competitions, which is continuing even though you've joined us here at Intersect three hundred and sixty, that's something that we're delighted to support. Uh, that's been a big part, and I, I'm grateful that that you're doing that. Um, another of the uh, Sessions that I really enjoyed. I thought it was, well, first of all, I thought it was noteworthy. Right in the welcome, they talked about that gonna, there's going to be a name change to this conference. So we've always known it as the Rice Oil and Gas HPC Workshop. The oil and gas is being replaced by the word energy, the Rice University Energy. HPC workshop. And they're looking really out toward uh, the future with this. And I thought it was noteworthy that they had an entire session on the Northern Lights project, which is a joint venture between uh, Total, Shell, and Equinor with a presentation by Total looking at CCUS or carbon capture, utilization and storage, acknowledging right off the bat that for a lot of areas, looking at carbon neutral isn't going to be sufficient. We need to get to carbon negative on a lot of projects, and this Northern Lights project has a lot. It was basically carbon capture and sequestration. I, I thought it was a fantastic presentation.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was great. It was great to see a nice, a nice hefty presentation on that. You know, and as the sector moves and tr- transitions um, to sustainable, greener energy practices, you know, this focus on. Carbon capture and green energy—it's—it's it's really critical, and that also dove, dovetails back to that workforce development session. That was one of the points made there, that if they want to, if they they need to attract, they want to attract the the younger generation. They 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 care so much um, about the the climate change issue and how critical that is. You know, they they need to put these kind of programs front forward and center, and I think we're we're seeing that they're they're beginning to do that.
0: And I know that speaking for the teams that I've interviewed so far in my cluster competition, they would be very happy to work in oil and gas and HPC. Uh, Give me a call, oil and gas industry. My number's easily available.
2: Looping back around to that other panel we were talking about, managing uh, uh, the next five years in HPC, predicting all of these changes. We were starting to talk about cloud in HPC. That got one of the biggest discussions going on Twitter. If you follow us uh, at Addison Snell, you could look at the hashtag, hashtag OGHPC, one of my favorite hashtags on the conference circuit. There was a lot of conversation going around with regard to uh, cloud and HPC. Tiffany, did you follow some of that?
1: Yeah, I did. You know, this is so. This is a question that came up from from Andy Jones. This idea that um, you know we we will no longer be debating cloud versus on prem, and it it it, it uh, definitely sparked a lot of discussion. And I thought that you know I thought of you because I know you've tracked the space so closely. Um, so I was like wa- wondering what your your you you disagreed. I think you you disagreed yeah. that we'll no longer be debate debating it.
2: I, we, we will still be debating it. This debate is 12 years old. It's louder than ever. This debate is now entering its teenage years. It's not going to be done in the next five years. Uh, we're going to be talking about hybrid environments in this space for a while.
0: It's going to be a rocky adolescence, I predict, uh, because Addis and I are pretty much on in line with this, given the research that we've done over the years into cloud and economic issues, all of that. This is not a settled question. And really, there's nothing out there in IT, and there never has been, that's a panacea. Even panaceas aren't panaceas anymore. It's going to be an open question, and it's really going to come down to the particular situation for the particular customer, as everything does.
2: As we start looking at some of these other uh, workloads, there were a few other interesting comments there. David Baldwin from Shell was talking about Basically, the seismic workload is still there. That's still constant, but it winds up declining as a percentage because the other workloads are expanding so much. That's also consistent with what we've seen in our HPC research. And then Katie Antipas from uh, Lawrence Berkeley, although she was wearing her nurse cat for the purposes of this panel, um, was talking about very similarly how AI is influencing HPC. That's a topic that's come up in a few of our other conversations for areas like, for example computational steering or target reduction for HPC, uh, highlighting that that's work that goes on in the national labs. That's related to a question that came up in our Intersect 360 research webinar just a week ago, the recording of the, of which is on our website, intersect360.com slash presentations.
1: Yes, you, you mentioned David Baldwin. He also, he, he mentioned Other HPC workloads increasingly taking up more of that pie, although Seismic will still be primary. He also mentioned that the the number of applications is increasing generally, so quite a bit, going from hundreds in their case to thousands. Not as many as uh, Katie Antipa has to to deal with quite yet. and, uh, and also this, this focus on the increased importance of writing good algorithms was touched on a lot. Um, David brought that up, but a lot of other people brought that up. Uh, Andrew Siegel, he is uh, with Argonne National Laboratory. He's the Director of Application Development for ECP. He had a session there um, focusing on uh, how the ECPA, ECP, the Exascale Computing Project is successfully exploiting the parallelism from the GPUs um, really uh, gave some good practical advice on how to do that. And he he emphasized also, you know, that this isn't just for the high end, not just for Exascale. You know, this shift is, will be coming and flowing down the, the pipes to everybody and, and impacting the mid-range computing. So the, the takeaway there uh, for for those users is that um, efficient. The efficiency of using GPUs, it goes way beyond porting. You know, porting is just the first step. And, and that session offers a lot of uh, practical advice as to the, the kinds of decisions you'll want to be thinking about. And just as an example of the kind of like the speed up that you can get, he he mentioned several success stories, including this molecular dynamics project called Exalt uh, or Code, and uh, they, they were able to improve that code by a performance uh, by a factor of 22 on Summit, you know, going over That's to, good to number. GPUs. Yeah, and, and doing that through the, the Cocos uh, tool.
2: Speaking of heterogeneous programming tools in national labs, Tiffany, also this week in HPC, you've got a story up on HPC Wire where John Russell's written up an interview with Jeffrey Vetter from Oak Ridge National Laboratories, looking at how they're planning on dealing with heterogeneity and the pursuit of common runtime tools for managing that heterogeneity with a tool they're calling Iris Runtime.
1: HPC Wire had a nice conversation with uh with Jeffrey Vetter, uh myself and uh, my my editor John Russell um and uh you know Je- Jeffrey most most a lot of you will know him he's been a prominent presence at Oak Ridge Lab as the founding director of the founding director of the Future Technologies Group and he recently became uh one of the new section heads so his uh, his increased um Responsibilities uh, and, and of, of a role there at Oak Ridge. So the idea behind uh, Iris is to is something that we're seeing more and more of this kind of this one one runtime to to rule them all type of idea. So the idea is to build a runtime system supported by a variety of programming models that can that can deliver code to many different devices in this age of uh, growing extreme heterogeneity. So um, it will be able to recognize the different core devices, the GPUs, the CPUs, FPGAs, DSPs, and a target system and choose which is the most efficient to run on um, without user intervention, which sure sounds pretty cool and like something um, that we, we need in this, in this era of uh, heterogeneous computing.
2: The project is called IRIS, which is short for Intelligent Runtime System, and yeah, this really ascribes to what we've been perceiving as the biggest need in the HPC community right now is that pendulum has swung back from commoditization towards specialization again. We've now lost that notion of portability. Early Beowulf clusters, sure, I've got to go through the pain of putting it MPI once, but then it'll run on anything. Now we're back into a specialized era where that portability has been and lost, and that was really the the nut of what uh, uh, Jeffrey was talking to uh, you and John about in this interview is trying to recapture that portability while still being able to take advantage of specialized components. It is a Mighty difficult challenge to be able to have a common runtime and they they talk about it essentially as a wrapper that speaks through OpenCL or the different types of portability tools to these different types of components. It does necessarily uh, carry a little bit of overhead, uh, but maybe you're willing to pay that overhead to be able to take advantage of the different components.
1: And there's some similarity here to other approaches that we're seeing as well that are, are based on the, the Sickle model, S-Y-C-L. Um, if this sounds a little familiar, you know, it, it is similar to what's being done with Intel, the Intel-backed One API approach and, and some other approaches uh, as well to take advantage of these different endpoint devices in a way that you don't have to continually port, port codes.
2: Yeah, that does concern me a little bit that one API is so strategically important to Intel right now to have the national labs be working on something else. Now, I don't know that it's it's as Dan was saying prior to when we started recording. It's more of a substitute, not really a competitor. This is probably a national lab project, and and I don't know that it'll be commercially adopted outside of selected public sector. Areas and Intel is per- pursuing a commercial approach, but certainly my eyebrows went up to think of a national lab uh, project as being a direct replacement for Intel's One API. I agree.
0: There are other competing projects out there as well. And, the, you know, this is going to stay within Oak Ridge, but the others are commercial. And it's going to be interesting to see what the market decides.
2: And it's going to take some time. Our listeners can go get the details on that article on HPC Wire. The interview is with Oak Ridge National Labs' Jeffrey Vetter. Before we sign off from the podcast, we were saying right at the top of the hour, happy coronaversary. It's been a year now of lockdown for most of us here working from home. And also on HPC Wire, we're not going to have time to, to really dive into it on the podcast here, but you've got an interesting timeline, Tiffany, from the whole editorial team looking at the history of supercomputing resources in the fight against COVID-19.
1: Yeah, so we are excited to announce a new interactive timeline feature on HPC Wire. It's uh, the history of supercomputing versus COVID-19. And as you said, it's highlighting the industry's um, notable impact on combating the the coronavirus. We have been tracking COVID-19 for over a year now, and we have Hundreds of articles on the site, interviews with leading science scientists, lots of research uh, on the on the spike protein. Um, we've covered it on the podcast. We've covered the, the market. Um, you, you guys have covered uh, the market impact, and then you know all the supercomputing power that's been that's been brought to, to bear on this. So uh, we have all of that, you know, or a lot of not all not all of it, but a, a special um, selection of, of those stories featured in this time li- timeline. And I will give a special shout out to our HPC Wire editor Oliver Peckham for his, his great coverage of, of uh, the pandemic and all things science. If, if you read our, our COVID-19 coverage on the site, you've definitely, you've seen his byline uh, and he's, uh, he's even um, our, our internal go-to for, for a lot of COVID questions.
2: Terrific, and congratulations to the editorial team. Wonderful story getting that posted. Dan, Tiffany, thanks to both of you for joining me here today, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.